0: So personally, a lot of my time goes into reaching out to reporters. And the way that I do that is I look at who's writing either about saving money or about the subscription economy or about companies that we have a lot of data on and then say, hey, you know what? I saw that you wrote an article about this company. Just so you know, we're seeing a lot of users cancel their subscription from that company. In fact, we've seen this percentage. I'd love to chat with you about it.
1: Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge, help to the podcast so if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well thanks so much all right everybody today we have yaya mok who's the co-founder of true bill which is the easiest way to find manage and even cancel your paid subscriptions and recurring bills with a single click yaya how's it going today
0: going great thanks for taking the time to chat
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: Sure. So I've been in technology for a little over a decade now, uh, first at webs.com. Then uh, we actually spun a project out of webs.com called SGN, which made Facebook games right at the time that the Facebook platform launched. And then from there, I spent the last five years at a company called Nanigans which is the largest social and mobile ad optimization platform. So from there, we grew the team to from four or five of us up to nearly 200 people over the last five years and did so by building really a terrific optimization platform used by gaming and e-commerce companies to manage their Facebook and mobile ad spend.
1: Great. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about Truebill and kind of you know what you guys are trying to accomplish today?
0: Absolutely. So with Truebill, the macro trend that we're trying to build on is subscription commerce is really eating traditional commerce a lot of the goods that we used to buy manually five years ago or 10 years ago have now migrated to subscriptions. So if you think about it, 10 years ago, you might've gone to the record store and bought CDs Then on your way home, you'd stop and buy groceries and shaving razors. And then you would periodically buy software for your computer like Microsoft Office or Adobe Photoshop. Today, pretty much all of those things have been either partially or completely replaced with subscriptions. So no one buys CDs anymore. In fact, it's pretty odd that someone would even buy iTunes songs. Instead, people sign up for Spotify or pay for an Apple Music subscription. Things like shaving razors, Gillette is getting massively disrupted by companies like Harry's and Dollar Shave Club. Which ship you shaving razors on a subscription basis? Old school enterprise companies like Microsoft Office and Adobe Photoshop, you really can't even buy anymore. Those are also now subscription only. And if you look into the future, your next iPhone is probably going to be a subscription, and your next car might even be a subscription. So as the number of subscriptions per person goes up from five to ten to you know approaching twenty, we just said, you know what? There has to be a platform to own and manage all these subscriptions. And that spans everything from discovery, to enrollment, to personalization, to management, to cancellation.
1: Got it, okay, that makes sense. So, I mean, you guys launched uh, about a couple months ago. I mean, you know, what success have you guys seen to date?
0: Sure, so uh, we did our small friends and family launch towards the end of November. And coming into the end of January, we had somewhere between four and 500 users. In January, we launched our new site design and did our formal public launch uh, where we went out on product hunt. And we got just a tremendous response from there. We got the number one spot on product hunt with over 1,000 upvotes and signed up something like, I think, two and a half thousand users just from that. Since then, that growth has continued. So today, I think we're closer to nine or 10,000 signups, with about 60% of those users actually connecting at least one bank or credit card account.
1: Okay, so that's how you guys are tracking if people are quote unquote successful or not, if they connect one bank account or not.
0: Yeah, and actually, interestingly enough, most of the people that do connect a bank or credit card actually connect more than one.
1: Interesting. So how do you guys make money doing all this? I mean, I've connected a Truebill, and I'm not even sure I paid you guys anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a free service, and we think it's probably going to be a free service for the near to mid-future. Again, users are, have been really, really delighted with it and been very eager to share it, and so that helps us not have to pay you customer acquisition costs or user acquisition costs. Now, right now, it, when you log in, it does a quick scan of your credit card statement or bank statement or even PayPal and then shows you all your subscriptions that you're paying for every month and lets you cancel anything you want with one click. As we continue building the product, we hope to get past cancellation and into enrollment and management. With enrollment, we hope to get paid by subscription companies for recommending them to our users in an intelligent way.
1: Interesting. So what would be an example of that?
0: So there's a couple examples of things we can do there. For instance, we could see, hey, you know what? You have Dollar Shave Club and you have Nature Box. People that have those two also really like Blue Apron. Mm. And... You know, so we could power intelligent recommendations there. We could also say, you know what, you're using this service in general, people have been pretty dissatisfied with that. Why don't you click here and switch to this other competitor?
1: Wow, that's interesting. So yeah, I can see you guys acquiring a massive, massive amount of users. And then you guys would just become like an affiliate engine, right?
0: Yeah, I don't like to think of it as an affiliate engine, because those feel almost more spammy. I shouldn't call it affiliate. Well, I should call it a
1: referral engine. Yeah.
0: So I think I think the key there is to do it in a way that feels organic to the service. Mm -hmm. And in a way that's intelligent and not spammy. So you know, we could pretty easily make money by saying, hey, you know what, why don't you get car insurance quotes to everyone we see paying car insurance? But we don't want to do that. Instead, we really want to take our time and build out intelligence around what new subscriptions would actually make sense for this user. Why would they make sense? And then let's share that in a transparent way with the user. And if they decide to to try it out, then great.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you know, have you guys agreed on like a target number of users you want to get to before you guys start to, you know, add these recommendations in? Yeah, I think we're aiming for half a million. Got it. Okay. And how long do you think it's going to take you guys to get there?
0: I hope to be there in 12 months or
1: less. Cool. And okay. I mean, this is, this is interesting. So, I mean, also at the same time, you know, it, I'm looking through the Truebill dashboard right now when I try to cancel with somebody, it's just a matter of, you know, we, we make sure, you know, you guys will ask like a confirmation, like, do you, are you sure you want to cancel blah, blah, blah. But you know, if, if I'm on the other side, if I'm like Adobe or something like that, and I get like something from Truebill, you know, how do you like force them to cancel cuz sometimes they'll be like, you know, we're not talking to the the real owner, you know, we can't cancel the account. You know, does that happen?
0: Yeah, it does, but you know, I think the way that subscription companies, the DNA of subscription companies has changed over the last few years. There are a lot of businesses that made a lot of money signing you up for something, then trying to hide it from you, hope you don't cancel, hope you are unaware of it so you don't cancel it, mm-hmm. and then putting up massive friction or massive hurdles to prevent you from canceling. That's not really the paradigm of these companies anymore. They want to build a great product. They want users to try it in a low commitment way or a low barrier of entry way, I should say. And then, you know, if those users aren't happy with it, then they're not trying to keep, that, keep revenue from customers that are not happy with the service. So with, with newer companies or technology companies, they tend to be pretty understanding in saying, you know what, like you're an agent of the user and clearly this is reflective of the user's wishes, so we'll go ahead and cancel. Sometimes they do ask for additional authentication information which we keep a record of. So, for instance, if you want to cancel Adobe, you give it as as an example. uh, They might want something specific, which we, when you click to cancel Adobe, prompt you for as a verification step. And then we say, hey, you know what? Cancel Eric's Adobe, and here's all the information that you're going to need in order to be authorized to do that.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Again, I I think this is fantastic. It's so genius. I actually even shared it on on Facebook. You know, when you get me to share something, that means it's something special.
0: (laughs) Thanks. We really appreciate it. We've seen a ton of people sharing,
1: you know, especially with some of these services like Comcast
0: or or cable companies that are notoriously difficult to cancel when we do make it as easy as one click to to get out of it. And the user says, wow, I've been paying for this for five months just because I didn't want to go through that headache. Thank you for doing it for me they're pretty, pretty eager to share and they become, you know, dedicated evangelists.
1: Yeah, I'm actually staring through my account right now and I want to cancel like three things. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, let's talk about acquisition for a moment. I mean, how did you guys go about getting to number one on product hunt? Was there a method to the madness?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, we, we did a ton of research and talked to, got on phone with a few companies who had successful product hunt launches to basically come up with a playbook for how to do it. So number one is the time you post. We did ours at 7 a.m. Pacific. That seems to have worked. You know, if I could go back, I probably would have done it a little bit earlier. I probably would have aimed for 5 a.m. Pacific. Secondly, we looked at who we wanted to post for us. So there are a few kind of what I would call product on celebrities that when they post, that thing is guaranteed to go somewhere near the top. For us, we we got in touch with Heaton Shaw. Uh,
1: I was just going to say that name. <laughs> yep,
0: exactly. And uh, so he was nice enough to post it for us. The other thing is we put a lot of thought into the images, both the the product images as well as the headline image that would appear with it. And then we did what you would expect, which is when it went out, you know, Product Hunt does not like you to tell people to vote for it. Mm-hmm. In fact, they'll penalize you if they see you doing that, but you're definitely allowed to promote it. So we posted on our blog, all of us posted individually on our Facebooks, on our Twitters, hey check out Truebill on Product Hunt. And then the other thing we did was we made sure we were hyperactive on the actual thread. So anytime someone commented with a question or comment, we immediately jumped in and said, Hey, you know, I'm the founder, thanks so much for trying it out to address your concern, whether it be about privacy or security or anything else. let Let me respond to that.
1: Okay. Now, realistically, how many people and be honest here, how many people did you ask to help upvote?
0: Well, let's see. So we finished the day, I think right now, you know, by a few days after Product Hunt, we had close to 1,500 votes, maybe 1,400. Please don't quote me on that. I think we finished up the day around, if I remember correctly, eight or 900. I would suspect that maybe 100 of those are from people that, uh, that I would call friendlies, and then the rest would be organic.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, I think here's the thing. I mean, when you look at like a Reddit or any type of community, you know, once you get past a certain point, if it's actually a genuinely good product, it's just going to take off. Right. So it sounds like a hundred, a a good number for, you know, as of, as of this interview. Okay. So product hunt got you, you know, to 2,500 users and you guys are still continuing to acquire more. I mean, how else are you guys growing the business right now?
0: Sure. So we have some really cool data.
1: So we started packaging that up and doing content marketing for
0: instance just today i wrote something about the um the 10 most commonly canceled subscriptions and these are these are kind of what you'd expect those like um let me give you some examples here you know instant checkmate or credit expert and these are things that when people see they almost immediately cancel and there are also things that are tend to be on the somewhere between very difficult to ridiculously difficult side of actually being able to cancel. So by packaging our content like that and then putting it out, not only do do our users respond to it, but people share it. And then we've had other, other news outlets pick it up, or I should say influencers or bloggers pick it up. Also, we have a product that's pretty useful in a very tangible way. So the average Truebill user that cancels at least one subscription saves an average of $512 per year. Like you said, you signed up and immediately you saw three things that you probably want to cancel. Those monthly subscriptions really add up. So when people sign up and they save money, they're very eager to share. But then the other thing is, for instance, Forbes magazine wrote about us in an article. It was something like the, the 20 easiest ways to save money. And uh, we hadn't even reached out to them or done anything to initiate that. I guess the staff writer there had just stumbled across it, probably
1: on Product Hunt, tried it out, saved money, and then built it into an article. That's fantastic. Those are the best ways. I mean, those are you can even call those advertorials in a sense, right? Where they just start to take off for you guys. That's fantastic. Exactly.
0: And a cool thing is that we've seen the traffic that comes in from a trusted source like Forbes or TechCrunch
1: mm-hmm.
0: connects their credit cards at a at a higher rate than just direct traffic. Really so that, that endorsement really seems to help. Yeah.
1: Well, wow. you know, what would be really interesting content marketing. If you guys can put out like, you know, which traffic sources, like <laughs> who makes the most money or who saves the most from, from which traffic source. But I guess, I guess, that might be a little too sensitive.
0: You know, it's, it's definitely worth looking into.
1: Interesting. Well, I would pay for that report. Okay, cool. Well, all right. So it sounds like you guys are doing content marketing as well. The product hunt stuff is working for you guys. And then it sounds like in the future when stuff really gets rolling, you guys will probably be dabbling in, in paid acquisition. What else? The other thing is PR.
0: So personally, a lot of my time goes into reaching out to reporters. And the way that I do that is I look at who's writing either about saving money or about the subscription economy or about companies that we have a lot of data on and then say, hey, you know what? I saw that you wrote an article about this company. Just so you know, we're seeing a lot of users cancel their subscription from that company. In fact, we've seen this percentage. I'd love to chat with you about it.
1: Interesting. Okay. Awesome. So the the company itself right now, I mean, how many, how many people are on the team?
0: So we have four full-time people, technically three with one starting on Monday. I'm working on this with three of my brothers. So two of us are full-time and then two are contributing as advisors. There's four of us total.
1: Let's talk about that for a little bit. How's it working with three brothers?
0: it's great you know we've we've worked together our whole lives and that when i say our whole lives i mean from the lemonade stand to which evolved into the lawn mowing business which became snow shoveling in the winter through our first kind of website through webs.com and sgn and now now this i think it's absolutely great a lot of people say oh doesn't that create problems i think that where with regards to the way that my brothers and i work together we know that our bond as family is stronger than anything business therefore no business disagreement could ever really reach magnitude to cause real problems.
1: Okay. That makes sense. And I think it's a, well, I think it's a great story that probably should, uh, hopefully, hope you guys are working on a book, but I do want to talk about, uh, webs.com for a little bit. So talk about that experience and talk about, you know, what you guys ended up exiting for.
0: Yeah. So webs.com really was born with a, with a very straightforward mission at the time email was, was taking off and websites were, you know, only for the really technically proficient. And so my brother actually came up with the idea. He said, you know what? Today, everyone's getting an email address. Tomorrow or in the future, everyone will also want their own home space on the web. That's going to take the form of a website. So he said, let's build a platform that makes creating a website as easy as email or so easy that our very non-technical mother could do it. The three of them started that together and spent about 11 years working on it before it was acquired by Vistaprint in 2011.
1: I'm a little confused here. So I thought you worked on webs.com with two of your other brothers. was it three of you, or was it like three other brothers?
0: Is three other brothers. I did work there. I don't call myself a co-founder.
1: Got it. Okay. But you were pretty early then. Yeah. All right. Well, I I guess my my question would be, so (laughs) there's four of you actually. Right. How did you guys even end up? I mean, you guys go from the lemonade stand to the lawnmower business and all that. I mean, how did you guys end up figuring out out how to do this? I mean, what was everybody's background?
0: Right. So... We got really lucky in that my parents had a home office when we were growing up, which means that we had access to computers, a fax machine, a photocopy machine, and that type of technology. And so by making that available for us, two of our brothers became very technically talented. So my brother is CEO, excuse me, CTO of Truebill. Uh, my other brother was CTO of Webs. One of them became uh, very entrepreneurial and one became sort of a uh, jack of all trades. That's that's me. So it actually ends up being a, a great team in that we have a lot of different skill sets between us that make us pretty versatile in terms of being able to get done whatever needs to get done or, or tackle whatever challenge arises.
1: OK. And do you think I mean, it sounds like a big part of um, growing up. I mean, it sounds like your parents were entrepreneurial, right? And they, they passed those genes over to you. I mean, how did that look?
0: Yeah, I think my dad is is really entrepreneurial. So my parents met at University of Maryland and then actually after college moved to Afghanistan. There my dad started a couple small businesses. Actually, I, I just learned this. He had the first business in Afghanistan that sold processed chickens, or I should say, cut chickens. Before him, you could only buy a whole chicken and he started parting them out into legs and breasts and other pieces. <laughs> when yeah, I don't know, random story. But uh so when the Russians invaded, they moved back to America in kind of rushed and unpleasant circumstances. And so they started a passport and visa service at the time they looked and that basically had a very low friction of entry, low entry costs. And that's what they they built. It never grew into a, a big enterprise, but it did provide for us. And it again, gave us kind of that springboard to be around an office, see how business is done and have access to Technology and um, and resources.
1: Yeah, I think people often forget about how important uh, the childhood is growing up. So it sounds like everything was fostered there. So
0: exactly, and I, you know, I remember when my oldest brother was was in high school, he was tasked with uh, figuring out how to build a database for for that business. My God, and we all, you know, we all chipped in, in in different ways.
1: Great. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. How old are you right now? I'm 32. 32. Okay. So, what would you tell your 25 year old self? What's one piece of advice you'd give?
0: you know take take more risk at 25 you know i was definitely i didn't consider starting my own business as a as an option because i wasn't prepared to face the worst case scenario so instead i worked you know reasonably good jobs at reasonably good tech companies but i was much more risk averse than i should have been at 25 you know realistically if you're if you're in your 20s worst case scenario is you you know you end up having to crash on your brother's or your buddy's couch for a month while you you get back on your feet I was actually, uh, you know, Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos. I met him in Las Vegas about two years ago, and I asked him this. I said, you know, twice you've kind of amassed a fortune and then been totally willing to dump it on something that's highly risky to the point that you almost drive yourself broke. Where do you get that risk appetite from? And he said, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you have to sleep on a friend's couch. And, and that kind of struck me as, wow, you, you know, you have hundreds of millions of dollars in, and to you losing all of that is, is totally acceptable and is not a bad worst case scenario. I was really struck by how how willing he was to kind of just go with that and realize that, you know, in the end things will be fine.
1: I love it. Kind of reminds me of Elon Musk.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right, well, I want to jump back to webs.com for a little bit. I mean, you guys exited for was it 175 million? 117 million. 117. Okay. Now, was there at any point in time where the company was on the brink of failure? You know, there were
0: definitely kind of learning experiences there. I think the one that jumps to mind is uh Around 2006, 2007, we decided to really emphasize the, the making it more of a an advertising model. And so we really over monetized the site. Uh, we did homepage takeovers. We did co-registration during signup. Uh, we put ads on, on users' websites to the point that it, it kind of became intrusive and it, it confused the identity of the site and who we were trying to go after. Before that, it was a premium business and it was going well. And then after that, you know, we sort of got things back on track and went back to freemium and that was definitely the way to go. But there was a, there was a stretch in there that we sort of lost our our bearings and made the site almost like a little bit nascar if I can say that.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that more. Cause I mean, you know, that's a moment where, you know, trust is being, you know, you're, you're kind of people, you know, your customers won't trust you as much anymore because it's happening all of a sudden. Right. So what was the reaction when you guys started, you know, adding all these uh, advertising, you know, takeovers and things like that?
0: Right. Well, you know, there's not one big reaction. Uh, what it ends up being is this conversion rate goes down by 1%, and then you see a small impact over here. But there's no one mega outrage or or event that lets you say, hey, you know what, we messed up, let's, let's get back on track. The other thing is, I think it prevented us from really focusing on the base of customers that was going to make the business successful. So ultimately, webs became a phenomenal tool for small and micro businesses to manage their web presence, right? And so that's when I say smaller micro business, I mean a, a lawn mowing uh, company with, you know, two people or a one-person masseuse business, right? And and people like that just they want a little bit more of a professional feel. And that professional feel is, is detracted from when you try to over uh, over monetize with advertising.
1: Okay. So to be clear, you know, once you guys started going down the advertising routes, your numbers actually started to decrease. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, growth definitely plateaued and this is this is a few years ago. I'm trying to remember. The monetization started to to decline, if I remember correctly, from either flatline or decline from uh, premium services, and was not being offset by the ads significantly by, okay. by the ads. Right. All right,
1: that makes sense. Okay. Well, that's a good lesson for everybody. You know, th- don't get too greedy with the ads because, uh, well, first of all, it kills the user experience, and then uh, <laughs> revenues go down overall.
0: Right. Build something that people love and stick to that. Right. If people love your product and are using it then you'll find ways to make money that are organic.
1: Makes total sense. Now, I mean, Yaya, how do you, you know, it sounds like you've done so many things already. For an ideal day, what does an ideal day look like for you?
0: Sure. So generally speaking, I wake up uh, usually about seven and usually have a phone call, probably with the East Coast or maybe with Europe. Then from there, I sort of get my day started, eat breakfast, do some work from home before I head into the office. For some reason, that's when I'm just able to be super productive. Then once I get into the office, usually between 9 and 10, I try to divide the day into focusing on different pieces of the business. So the first thing I might do is look at uh, customer support and customer advocacy and make sure that's on track. From there, jump into thinking about uh, what type of new content we can generate. From there, jump into um, PR outreach. So outreach either to bloggers and influencers or to press and media. And then uh fundraising takes takes some time as well.
1: Okay. Cool. And what time I mean, you know, you're right now there's four it sounds like there's four people on the team. I mean, what what are your days? I mean, what time do your days usually end or do you just keep going till you go to bed?
0: <laughs> yeah, so we leave the office between 6:30 and 7:30 and then uh my brother and I are actually roommates, <laughs> so we get home and it's right back to work usually.
1: Oh, makes sense. Yeah, you kind kind of have to when you're when it's
0: four people, right? Right. And then when I can, I I drag him out for a run or something to to both be active as well as to at least take a few minutes away from thinking about the business. I
1: love it. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. What's one must read book you'd recommend to everyone?
0: Let's see. So there's a couple. I just read um, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, and that was a great book. Another one that I really like is Onward by Howard Schultz. In that book, you know, he, he built, Howard Schultz is the founder of Starbucks. He built that business with just such a reluctance to compromise on the experience that he wanted to deliver. And so that's something that uh, that personally I drew a lot from, and it's something I try to remind myself of. If it's your business, you know, it's your name, it's your reputation, don't stand for a less than ideal customer experience. And if there is one, you need to take that very personally.
1: And that one's called Onward, Yeah
0: exactly yeah okay
1: great yeah hard thing about hard things i think you're the second person to recommend that today on the podcast so fantastic okay, okay. i'm actually keeping like a, a running count for that one i think that's number 22
0: how many people have said uh delivering happiness
1: actually i think only one person you might be the second
0: yeah. okay great if i book. can put three on the list that's a, that's the third
1: yeah and we'll add all of these to the show notes i've heard great things about um the howard schultz's book too so uh, we'll drop those in the show notes but yeah, yeah this has been great what's the best way for people to find you online
0: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Yahya Y-A-H-Y-A-M-O-K-H. Or you can just drop a comment on the Truebill website, and I'm pretty pretty good about checking those as well.
1: Yeah, everyone, this is Yahya, co-founder of Truebill. Make sure you check it out. I mean, you have nothing to lose from checking it out. I mean, I think I probably saved at least two grand for the year, or maybe three. So check it out, Truebill.com. Yahya, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much, Eric.